0: Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, whose mercy abounds forever. Have you ever watched young children color in a coloring book for the very first time? Noticed how they choose the most unusual, outlandish colors that come together with those big, black outlines on the page. Perhaps like a purple banana, or maybe even an orange sheep. Thinking about that, orange sheep, orange sheep, have you any wool? Well, I guess that's much more funner than black sheep, black sheep, when it's orange. Well, I suppose that might be true. But even more strikingly still is the way in which, with big, broad uh, strokes of exotic color, children will scribble all over the object with delighted attention. And you'll see an example of that here. way off the page at times, way outside the lines. Well, on the display, in the Louvre of many a home, usually on the refrigerator door, in the kitchen, you'll find these exotically colored pictures that create sheer joy, sheer joy for the observer, particularly for the parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, who are the recipients of these masterpieces, these junior Picasso's? But do you know what adults start teaching them about coloring as they get older? Have you ever heard it? Stay within the lines, right? In our gospel text for today, we also see Jesus with delighted attention. And what's he doing? He's splashing the color of God's grace. And let me just stop for a moment and ask you what color do you think maybe God's grace is? It's all over this picture of a woman who's desperately in need of Jesus' healing touch for her daughter is gravely ill. And in so doing, Jesus goes way outside the lines, beyond the lines of tradition or prejudice or custom. You see, this woman is a Canaanite, one of the great unwashed with whom good Jewish folk of Jesus' time had no time for conversation or contact. She comes from the coastal area of Syria, and she's a Gentile. Which is the Jewish name for anyone, as you just heard, explained by Elias, who's not Jewish. And as such, she's both an outsider and an outcast. Outside the lines. But the wonder that St. Matthew paints for us in this account in this gospel story of a woman who casts her bread upon the waters that's pressed down, shaken together, but then begins to run over is that Jesus' love crosses outside the lines of a tradition that had become legalistic. And he does so awash with all kinds of color, especially that fuchsia red. Scribbled, smooshed, splashed. Can you see Jesus holding that fuchsia color crayon in his hand with a big smile saying, O oh woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you have asked. And then we hear the heavenly chorus break into that well-beloved Sunday school song. You all know it. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, each precious in God's sight. But there are other voices in the world. In one of my favorite short stories entitled Revelation, by the American author Flannery O'Connor. She colors a picture of a small doctor's office in the 1950s where a large, overweight Southern woman named Mrs. Ruby Turpin is seated, sizing up all the patients who come into the waiting room, and yet she never really considers herself to be a patient, sticking all these people into all of her prejudiced pigeon holes. Black hired hands, white trash folk, lunatics, and wealthy landowners. They're all tied up within the lines of her befuddled caste system. At several points, you hear her talking to herself. Oh, thank you, Jesus, she says, for not making me some white trash or ugly or It's so shockingly vulgar, but pathetically true of our sinful nature. The way Flannery deftly colors the scene that you either have to start crying or break out laughing. So after the group of waiting patients have suffered long enough under Mrs. Turpin's conceited holier-than-thou judgments, a young college-age girl named Mary, get this, Grace throws a book that's ironically entitled Human Development at Mrs. Turpin and calls her a warthog. Well, in her pent-up rage of being called on the carpet, Mrs. Turpin goes back to her farm and standing in the midst of the hog pen, yells up into the heavens at God, who do you think you are? and she hears the question returning to her own heart, to its real rubiness, opening her up to revelation. To borrow a line from one of Shakespeare's sonnets, there was a transformation of God's soft, redeeming touch that was one of mercy that stroked her heart. As we'll soon hear in the words of the hymn of the day, there's a wideness in God's mercy. Now, I'll have to admit, this picture of Jesus colored in our gospel story for today is one that's always baffled me at various levels, if not simply at first blush because it's so seemingly rude. First, Jesus ignores this Canaanite woman with silence. Next, he says, I have not come into the world for folk like you. And then thirdly, he calls her a dog, another Mrs. Turpin. I mean, what's going on here? Why does Jesus basically tell her to get lost? I thought Jesus was in the business of finding people, getting found. Well, let me offer three ways that have traditionally tried to take some of the sting out of this text. First, some biblical scholars have tried to explain this seeming effrontery as Jesus was trapped. That is to say, Jesus' hands were tied inside the lines, unable to help this woman. Why? Because his mission was meant for the lost house of Israel. I mean, it's right there in verse 24, those of you who have your Bibles open. Nice theory, but it won't stick or stay within the lines. Again, why? Well, one reason is Jesus' healing of a Roman soldier's daughter earlier in Matthew 5. Or better yet, recall his ministry to the Samaritan woman outside the lines of Matthew's gospel. I mean, you have to go to John chapter 4 to find that one. But it's actually the disciples who are trying to do the handcuffing here. Send her away. Don't you remember what you told us just five chapters ago? Go nowhere among the Gentiles, but only to the lost sheep of Israel. Ha, they shout. So there, lady got to draw the line somewhere, the bank's closed, the doctor's out, gone fishing, really. Well, let's try again, as does the persevering faith of this Canaanite woman, who will not stay on her side of the line. Second, there's another way of trying to explain this rude response, that Jesus is just plain exhausted. Give him a break. He's just come from Nazareth where his own family thinks he's off his rocker. Next he finds out that his cousin, John the Baptist, has lost his head over a dancing girl. Then he's suffocated by a hungry crowd of some 5,000 plus, having only two fish and five wonder bread pieces to work with. Come on. It's one needy person after another. The woman's request is sort of like the old saying of that final straw that breaks the camel's back. If Jesus seems rude, hey, I mean, he's only human. Like that explanation? I don't. The one who fed those 5,000 who wept over the city of Jerusalem who came into the world, as he said, that he might give us life and give it abundantly, would he really snap at this woman who's before him, pleading on bended knee, calling him Lord, Son of David? Which nowhere else in Matthew's gospel do you see this. Say nothing of the disciples who are more interested in just what Jesus can do more so than who he is. Failing to see that what Jesus most wanted to give is his very self. This is my body, says Jesus. And as you eat it, do this in remembrance of me. There's always enough of Jesus to go around. So the second response is out. A third Jesus is testing her. Now, this is probably the most famous, the most used explanation. If she will just persevere in begging long enough and perhaps roll over, well, Jesus will throw her a bone. But this is just not squaring with the whole New Testament message that God is seeking out all people it's god's persisting it's god's grace not by any of our works no matter how hard we try i hope this sounds familiar i have sought you says jesus in john 15:16 you have not sought me we love says 1 john 4:16 because god first loved us or to sum it all up God so loved the world, tapanta, everything, the cosmos, that he gave us his only son. So in the spirit of this text, let's go outside the lines of a three-point sermon as well by considering a fourth response. I think Jesus is not trying to teach this poor woman anything. He knows she already knows. If you go back to Matthew 4, verse 24, or again in Mark's account, it's clear that this woman from these passages has heard the word of Jesus that's gone throughout all the districts and territory and has reached her. And that word has created faith. He's actually trying to get to the disciples who are so much like us, yes, as the church, to open up, to go outside the lines. Jesus loves the little children. Have we been singing the lines of the song, but without any heart? Good sight readers, but without the passion of true worship that leads into mission? My friends, the only lines we need to know are those that stretched up to heaven and then intersected with all human need. Stretch out to embrace all people upon a cross. The lines of one whose face that day with the Canaanite woman had a smile on it. A line like a smile that starts up in heaven, reaches down and touches all the people of the earth, and then lifts us back up again. Lines stretching everyone heavenward. Yes, there's a wideness in God's mercy. And Jesus is so delighted to have found someone who's not trying to barter with him, roll over him with some religious system, or try to trump the Trinity because of their ancestral heritage. Well, we're children of Abraham, you know. Jesus is absolutely loving this repartee that starts to go on here. He's absolutely loving it. Scribbling color all over the place. Yes, even calling her a house dog because she's now under the roof. This is a major pivot point in Jesus' ministry here. She too is among the house of Israel. She is also chosen. And Jesus is just hoping that disciples will somehow get their jaws off the ground long enough so that as Jesus concludes his gospel through the writer of St. Matthew, in chapter 28, that they will go and make disciples of all nations. Toward the end of Flannery O'Connor's essay, Revelation, Mrs. Ruby Turpin breaks down. And in the breaking down, there's a breakthrough. A breakthrough of all the lines she's drawn around herself and around God and around others. And in the concluding paragraph, we see her catching sight of a remarkable vision as the sun is going down on her old world, a colorful picture of all kinds of folk, red and yellow, black and white, of all walks of life, going right up off the page of this story into heaven. The lunatics, the black farm workers, white trash, who are actually leading the way. The last first, the first last. And the last word of the short story is Alleluia. You can say it with me today. Please join with me. And all God's people say Alleluia. Thanks be to God. Amen.